Welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. It's now back-to-back weeks uh, of Colin kind of, I think he's hiding from the fact that Hubie Halloween is out. I think he's scared to talk about it. Um, but we got Nick and, and myself. Brennan, uh, how's it going, Nick? And uh, any statements on Colin's uh, disappearance? You know, I'm, I'm bitter right now. Co- Colin is hiding from the Hubie Halloween spice. He doesn't want to tell the world his thoughts. Um, this This is a very troubling time for this podcast. I don't know how we'll move on, but... Even if he even if he keeps ducking us, if he comes if his next time on the podcast is three months from now, we will get his Hubie Halloween takes. So mm-hmm. um what well, just just send that in. It's gonna happen at some point. <laughs> oh yeah. Um I think that that's a good way to open it up. So we'll move into <laughs> Uh, this week. So we, we've got some interesting stuff this week. I think probably the most interesting is the release of Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of Chicago 7. So we're going to touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, but let me just jump right into it with a little bit of box office updates this weekend. So Honest Thief, uh, I'll come back to that in a second, but $3.7 million this weekend. That kind of matches the war with Grandpa last weekend. Also, 1500 per theater average. I can't remember, but is that would that be good pre-pandemic? Um, I don't think so at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What what is what was pre-pandemic? What was that like 10 years ago? I don't know. <laughs> um uh that's a movie, however, that's interesting because Tenet obviously has been the only uh movie playing in IMAX screens. However, Honest Thief has now taken a third of IMAX screens. Uh so Tenet now after a two-month reign of uh running IMAX, they have now reduced by a third. Um, War with Grandpa, 31% dropped to 2.5 million. They're up over 10 worldwide. Tenet crossed the $50 million mark domestically with 1.6 million this weekend. Um, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas with 1.3 million in a re-release. Pretty interesting stuff. And Hocus Pocus kind of raging on here, 750 grand in its re-release. And it's up over 5 million globally in its 2020 re-release. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, and... It's weird. I actually just watched Hocus Pocus for the first time this week, and uh, I know this movie is a really big deal to some. Uh, I I don't see it. Maybe I just suck. Who knows? But it is interesting because those that movie's been doing pretty well for a few weeks, and they also have the Nightmare Before Christmas doing okay. And I guess I don't know what okay means now in these days, but it's in the top five and it's making some money. And both those movies are available on Disney Plus, which is very very interesting to me. Um, I would suggest people watch it on Disney Plus and stay home. But <laughs> hey, um, Disney, I guess, capitalizing on just nothing in theaters. And I think the theaters that are still open at this point are desperately looking for things to show to keep their doors open. So, I mean, I guess it's a pretty smart move and they're doing OK, considering all the extenuating factors we have. Yeah. So, I mean, let's go back to the top here. Honest Thief comes out 2,400 theaters. That's like probably like 1500 less than what it would in a regular release um obviously there are a little over 4500 theaters in north america so we're pretty much cut in half in terms of theaters and then obviously you have to consider those theaters are pretty much cut in half as well with seating so it's pretty tough um but honest thief this is the new liam neeson action thriller and uh honest thief is just a great uh title just to kind of fall in line with uh some of the likes of Cold Pursuit, um, The Commuter. Um, this is kind of like, like just a great uh, Liam Neeson awful action title series continuing. <laughs> he loves doing these now. And it's, I mean, it's been the, 
it's been the trend for forever now because he had all three taken movies and all that. And he he's kind of in this mode now where he's basically doing a bunch, like whatever people throw at him, he's going to be in it. And he's, he's always kind of been like that. He's always been super around and in a bunch of movies every year. He's, he's one of the, he's in that vein of uh, European actors who like, it will just work the, like it's a job to him. It's kind of like Anthony Hopkins is the same way. Like he'll show up in transformers the last night, whatever, <laughs> whatever the hell, whatever one he was in. Um, yeah, it's it's really weird to see him continue to do these kind of movies. And yeah, the commuter honest thief. They're always like these really hard to two word nonstop titles. Yeah, something like that. Or and it's funny. And I actually I actually got to check out a movie that he did earlier this year called Ordinary Love. And that's a that's a cancer drama um, that he was in. And it's it's funny. Just you watch that, and then you can see, you see him continue to do all these hard action movies. Um, it's really weird. It, it was, but it was nice just to see him be a person, like who, <laughs> just be a husband who cares for his wife, and the the, uh, the wife in that movie um, has cancer, and it, he's just he's just good in that movie. Um, but yeah, I can't see, see myself um, watching Honest Thief. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't even know if this had like a hybrid release with VOD at all, but it is out in theaters and it has, it has, uh, sorry, grossed over uh, five and a half million globally. So we'll keep an eye on that. Probably not actually. Uh, so let's move <laughs> on to probably the biggest story of uh, the week, I guess, in terms of movies. Um, and that is, uh, we're getting back to some of kind of some of the uh, superhero stuff, the Spider-Man three rumors, um, Obviously, I think a few weeks ago we even touched on that you wanted to see like them go just kind of all out with this third Spider-Man with Tom Holland and just kind of be weird, uh, expand to the multiverse, if you will. And it seems like that might be the case. Rumors broke that they're looking to get Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire to uh, reprise their roles for this third film. Now, obviously, those uh, were confirmed by uh, the head at Sony that those were just rumors, but they are looking to get that done. They are looking to uh, get that casting done. However, this came kind of a few days after we knew that um, Benedict Cumberbatch was cast in uh, Spider-Man 3. So they definitely have this idea running of, of what's going on with this movie. It looks like it might be their, their version of uh, Into the Spider-Verse, if you will, kind of a live action version. Yeah, it's and it's it's coming after Doctor Strange too, right? So we'll probably see the fallout of that movie going into Spider Man Three somehow. Um, but yeah, I I want this movie to be as weird as possible, and I still want them to somehow fold in the the animated into the Spider Verse stuff. Because I mean, if you're going to do a multiverse movie, you got to get a little trippy with it and and cross cut live action with animation. That's I feel like that's the only way to do it. And if you don't, you're kind of just like missing the opportunity you probably never get the chance to do that again so i would love to see that i would love to see jake johnson's um out of shape spider-man show up in this movie <laughs> with all the other spider-mans that'd be really really funny yeah um no it, it it it'll be interesting and also this comes after the jamie fox uh casting as well where he's going to return and play a different electro maybe the same who knows they haven't really been clear on that but uh i think all this makes for what might actually be a very interesting film yeah, can we get Defoe back as the Green Goblin? Why not? I would, I would love that. Why not? Sixty-five-year-old Harold Defoe is maybe he does he gets a little lighthouse energy in there too. Why not? <laughs> um, like they already have J.K. Simmons. Obviously, he showed up in the uh, end of there of the last uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man uh, from last year. Yeah, um, 
so I think it'd be interesting. I mean, bring back all these people, kind of mix it up a little. Um, if if we get to see Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and uh, Tom Holland on the big screen together, I think that'd be uh, that'd be great. And I, I I think that would be something that would truly uh, I don't I don't think it would break records, but it would do some numbers at the box office. Yeah, and I feel like Sony has been in that mode, right, where they're kind of looking for their franchises and. There's that Uncharted movie, which has been in production for, what, like 10 years, 20 years, something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> so they really, and, and it's been pretty obvious for a while, they really try to milk everything they can out of their franchises. So who knows? I feel like you, you do this movie and then I might walk out of the theater if theaters are still around whenever this movie comes out and be like, all right, I think I'm done with Spider-Man because I feel like this is the kitchen sink movie. You know, like mm-hmm. where do you go after throwing all of this crap into a movie? It feels like it's like, its own end game in a sense where it's just everything thrown at the screen. And then afterwards you'd be like, you know what? I I'm good with Spider-Man. Like, would you go for a reboot? I don't really know what you would do after that. If you're going so crazy multiverse. Yeah. I picture if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield land in this film, I picture it to be in very restricted, limited roles. I, I can't picture them playing massive parts in a movie like this. Um, I picture them probably being like, like probably playing a bigger role than J.K. Simmons in the post-credit scene in the last Spider-Man. But I picture them really playing limited roles that might only be, say, ten minutes max for each of them. Um, even then, that would feel like a kitchen sink movie. And I think you'd probably have to see Tom Holland maybe scale it back or kind of maybe turn into like a, like a type of character that kind of just pops into every other mcu movie or maybe start the miles morales uh journey uh because we know that he was teased in homecoming um so uh yeah i don't know you're right i think you are right that this would be pretty wild but i do want to see it <laughs> yeah it would be fun yeah i think you're right too where it would probably be andrew garfield and mcguire for like 10 minutes and they have some fun action sequence where they do like a avengers spin around shot to show all of them back to back to each other or something like that just to be like, just for the, all the the fan fanness of it all, and they can all go nuts and cheer in the theaters. I think that's probably something they would want to do with that, and then they go away or they yeah. revert back to their multiverse. Yeah, it's it's definitely probably still a Tom Holland joint, if you will. Yeah, it would still it, it would be interesting though, and I think especially, I mean, I I love Andrew Garfield. I think it'd be great to see him, but uh, the Toby, uh, I mean, that that trilogy's obviously become kind of meme lore since then, and there's definitely a big following of it still of people that grew up in that era i think it'd be cool to see him uh on the big screen alongside the other two but we do know that it probably come with quite the cost um so we'll, we'll see what happens here and i know it did start filming like three days ago so they do have to probably uh if they are going to get them they got to book them soon oh I, I didn't realize they started filming that's interesting but yeah it's it would it would be kind of cool to see toby back on the big screen again because what was the last time he was in a movie it was pond, like pond sacrifice back in like 2015 was that it <laughs> like i haven't i can't remember the last time he was in a movie yeah it's been it's been a while um so yeah it'd be neat i i, I would picture him probably to be the one that'd be kind of the hard bargain but if he isn't really doing much i mean you know you're gonna be making making yeah, some why not? here or he comes to movie babble we can give him a podcast toby, <laughs> yeah, give him toby his... mcguire hit me up <laughs> you have my email <laughs> <laughs> give him give him his own segment here exactly. uh, that'd be great um so that's it for that really but there is one more quick little thing i did want to mention before we move to the netflix top 10 and that is that uh coming to america which is the sequel um was bought out by amazon studios and it will be uh premiering on prime on december the 18th 
we've talked about this so much, but Paramount has a pretty good relationship with these streaming services. They sell a lot of stuff to Netflix. And I think Paramount also, they get cold feet a lot um, and they'd like to just ship their movies off. So $125 million that Amazon purchased uh, this for, which is pocket change for Mr. Bezos. But um, this is a pretty a good purchase for them for the holiday season. And it'll probably do some numbers on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I'm, I was really shocked when I saw this. I didn't even I like we haven't seen anything from this movie, so I just figured they were probably somewhere in production. Then COVID happened, so they wouldn't they weren't able to continue filming. But it's kind of crazy to think that this is this movie's done and in, in the can and ready to go. But yeah, it's a big time for Amazon. They have a lot of movies coming out at the end of the year. Yeah, and I do think about something like this, and I think it probably would do well at theaters, but. Eddie Murphy is a question mark, I think, at this point in his career. I think it's been a long time since he's been a big success in terms of uh, box office draw. I think, like, the last decade, he's really been under the radar, hasn't done too much. Obviously, we saw him last year in the Netflix Dolomite film, but that's that's a prestige film. That's not a, that's not a movie that, if it wasn't Netflix, would have done big numbers either, I don't think. So I think this is probably the smart move. Paramount, hopefully makes a little bit back here and Amazon now has uh, probably a big streaming hit on their hands. Yeah. And for Paramount, it's, they have been shifting off a lot of their movies recently because even the trial of Chicago seven, that was a Paramount movie that they gave to Netflix. And we all know about the Irishman last year when that budget went nuts, but yeah, they haven't been in great financial situation for a couple of years now. So, I mean, I'm sure COVID didn't help at all. So I think they're very much looking for any chance they get to ship off their movies and just get, say, like, oh, the, the, the production costs $60 million, so they get back 65 or something like that where they can get small gains back just to keep uh, chugging along and getting a better financial situation for them. But, yeah, I, I think this is a really good move for, for Prime because their MO is, I think, their, their, their content uh, officer or their, I can't remember if they changed changed uh, titles or anything like that but it used to be a big programmer over at sundance so you see a lot of prestige or off the beaten path uh indie movies that go on prime but you don't see a lot of these these big movies so i think it's a really big move for them yeah no i definitely agree there um so we'll move on here to the netflix top 10 and we definitely have a, a great discussion ahead with trial of chicago seven so we're going to start at the number 10 here unfriended at number 10 octonauts and the great barrier reef at number nine and another illumination film in the grinch at number eight in a valley of violence at seven american pie presents girls rule day that's hanging on here at number six american uh american murder the family next door at five a babysitter's guide to monster hunting at four we got moneyball at three great film uh the trial of chicago seven actually ended up at number two here i'm sure it'll probably um compete with hubie but hubie halloween holds in there number one back-to-back weeks i think it'll be neat to see next week if it hangs on to number three but or hangs on for three straight weeks um but what do you make of this trial coming in at number two um i just think this shows like the power of adam sandler which is just so nuts to me but people love him and he's one of the most well-known names in movies in general people just know who he is just from I think there's older generations than us who loved him on SNL and you have all these movies from the 90s that people love, Billy Madison and all that, which I feel like is inching towards our generation more than recently. He's just made a lot of not good kids movies. I think we talked about this last week where like you have like blended and bedtime stories. They're just not good movies, but kids love them. They love fart jokes when they're like 10 (laughs) or 11 years old. So 
he weirdly is one of the last few people in Hollywood that speaks to a lot of different demographics. Um, and it's, I mean, I, don't, I can't even tell you how many subscribers are on Netflix now, but it just shows like a lot of people are interested in what he does. Uh, like I said, I like Hubie Halloween. It's different than it's different, but also very much the same <laughs> with a lot of the stuff that uh, Sandler's done recently. But yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts because Toronto Chicago seven is a big deal. Yeah. No, for sure. So that's what we're actually going to get into this week. It's not going to be a round two of Hubie, but uh, we are going to wait for Colin and uh, we'll see what he has to say. (laughs) Um, So Trial of Chicago 7, obviously, as you stated, was a Paramount film. This is one of Netflix's big awards moves. I know that we had, obviously, um, last last month, I'm thinking of anything, which was kind of their first kind of prestigious uh, movie or art house movie, if you will. But that's Definitely not going anywhere with Oscar voters. This, on the other hand, might. So we'll get into that after we actually discuss the content of the film. Uh, but what do you think of the trial of Chicago Seven? Hmm. Uh, I really, I really wanted to love this movie, uh, and I think I would. I would ultimately say that it's very entertaining to watch. I, I feel like it was what a two hour and ten minute movie, and it really flew by. I was never checking my phone. I was very locked in. You have all these really good actors just going nuts and firing a bunch of dialogue a mile a minute type of thing. But I, I wouldn't say this movie's good. Uh, I really am torn on it and I think I'm leaning towards the negative on it. But mm. um, I, I just don't like Sorkin as a director. I think we'll get into it more, but um, I would just prefer that he just writes his scripts and then someone else can interpret what he writes. Cause I think when you leave him to his own devices, he kind of just goes nuts and he gets a little corny. And then we'll talk about that ending, I guess a little later, which is just the worst thing in my opinion. But yeah, I think this movie just doesn't, it, it kind of devolves into the worst uh, traits that Sorkin has as a writer or also peppering in some of his really good stuff. Um, I don't know. It's 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 very much a mixed bag for me. Yeah. So we will get into a little bit of spoilers here for sure. Um, So I'll jump in and say that I did like this movie. I really did enjoy it. I think in a year where I didn't really get to dive all in on TIFF, I didn't get to see go to Sundance like you. um, uh, This is one of my more uh, liked films of the year that I've seen. However, we're way far out. I think all the great stuff is yet to come. Um, but this is up there for me so far this year, but that doesn't mean it's a phenomenal movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I just, I, I, I think it was missing something extra special on it. Just, um, there's some spots in here that maybe you could say were a little cheesy, but I do agree with you hundred percent. It is such an entertaining movie. I, I, I agree with you. It kind of flew by. It's a little over two hours, but it doesn't quite feel like it. Um, obviously the script is great. The writing's great. And you have a great cast that kind of carries this movie, um, in a way, just, just with how good they are together. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think he spun kind of the classic courtroom drama into a very entertaining way. I think he did a good job with that, but I think I agree with you that, um, he's not the perfect director. Um, and it would have been nice to see someone else direct this, but his, obviously you can't dispute that he's a great, uh, a writer and you could see that here, but, um, I don't know. I felt like it was missing something. Yeah. It's, I, it's actually really good that Moneyball is number three on the top 10. Cause I think if, when you compare the two, you kind of see the differences in a like good Sorkin versus bad Sorkin. Cause 
there's that one scene in Moneyball, which is a movie that I adore, and I had to watch an hour of it the other day just because I love that movie so much, and it's one of my favorite sports movies. But like Sorkin is just very structure-oriented. Like all those movies go around. They have, there's flashbacks within um, court dealings, and then you have the social network, which was, you have all these conversations between lawyers and Zuckerberg and um, Andrew Garfield's character, who I can't remember the actual guy's name, but... Um, you have all these things and I think he is so bound to, he really loves that structure. So sometimes he really loves to explain things really, really quickly and sum everything up, which in some ways work really well. Like you have Moneyball and everyone has that, everyone goes back to that like two minute scene where he's talking to the head scout and, a, and it's basically talking about uh, adaptation or adapting to new ideas in sports and baseball and obviously just generally and then it's the old guard that had the scout talking about the way things have always been and it's just this great little scene and it basically explains the entire movie and it's so good um and that's there's stuff like that where it's just like you can watch an entire scene and sorkin can just like spin this crazy thing and it's just explain it so well and it's so good then you have stuff in the trial of the chicago seven which um I like this is where it, it falters and becomes a little hokey. And you have a few times where characters are like they're either explaining their entire creed or people are explaining their creeds to them. Um, and it just becomes very, very hokey and on the nose. And there's just really no um, layering to it. I feel like you can't really dig underneath the surface of this movie very much. Um, it's all laid out there very plainly. Um, and I feel like when you have Bennett Miller or David Fincher, uh, just I think who take Sorkin's script and add a little different perspective to it, because I feel like they just have different personalities as filmmakers than Sorkin does. I think it adds a lot of interesting stuff to his scripts. But yeah, and in this movie, I have a it's I don't think the the Yaya Abdul Mateen characters. Um, I don't think uh, I think it's Ricky Seal. I can't remember his name, but um, I don't think his character is treated particularly well. I think we can get more into that later, but yeah, there's just a few scenes where it's just, it's just so on the nose and it really, it really, really bothered me a lot. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I would probably lean a lot more positive than, than you with this movie. I did really enjoy it. I thought a lot of, um, I thought the editing was very good. I think it's put together very well. Um, it, it, there's a lot of flow. And as you said, obviously there's flashbacks within um, this court drama a lot. I thought everything fit really well and it helped the movie flow. However, you're right in terms of layering there, there's, there's, there's definitely a problem there. Um, and there are some scenes that I think maybe you're tipping off uh, the Yaya Abdul-Mateen uh, character here. Um, there are some scenes that felt like they needed more weight, but it just wasn't there. You didn't feel the weight that you probably should have felt. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is I don't think Sorkin's a very good director. Um, I think the editing is fine to this movie. There's a lot of he likes to mirror his snappy dialogue with a lot of quick cuts, mm -hmm. and you have a lot of like snap cuts and things like that, which work pretty well, and it keeps the pace going really nicely. But I don't think this movie looks particularly good. Um, some of the costumings looked a little wonky too. It just I don't. I just don't think he's a great director, and he, I don't really know what his style is. I think it's just pretty flat. And I had the same issues with Molly Game as Molly's Game as well, where I feel like 
he doesn't have a strong enough perspective on this material to really let it loose. And I think about someone like Spike Lee, if he got to direct this movie, I think it would be so fascinating. Because one, I think with uh, the Abdul Mateen character, I think the the scene where uh, halfway through the movie, and I guess light spoilers, as we mentioned before, but where he is gagged and tied to his chair in the in the courtroom is really affecting. And it's probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Um, but then he, he just kind of leaves the movie. And I know that's part of real life where it was like, yeah, he, that's just kind of what happened in some way. But, um, and so his entire, but the, the way the script works and the direction works, it like his entire presence also leaves the movie. So you have this really strong black character and black influence that just aren't felt throughout the rest of this movie. Uh, and so it's, it turns what is like a really powerful scene and just kind of like a weird choice of suffering that I don't think just radiates throughout the rest of the movie either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just wish he, someone could direct his stuff. And I've heard rumors where he wants to write a social network too, which would just be amazing. And he wants Fincher to direct it. And that would just be the greatest thing ever. Cause I think if there's any movie that needs a sequel, it's probably the social network and it would be really fascinating, but yeah, it's there's a few things like that where it's just I feel like it's not entirely well thought out or needed a different voice in there to kind of flush things out. Um, it's just I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think, um, yeah, there, there's it definitely needs it, it definitely needed something. And I, I don't know if I like this more than Molly's game. I think they're pretty much even for me. I think um, this movie flows a little bit better than Molly's Game does, but I, I think a lot of what you're saying speaks true. And I actually wanted to point out some interesting stuff just about before we kind of dive back into the movie movie, but some of the background here, I don't know if you knew this, but Spielberg was originally supposed to be the director for this like 13, 14 years ago. And he was, Will Smith was going to play the role that, uh, yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen got. Um, uh, Heath Ledger was apparently going to be in this movie um, as Tom Hayden. Uh, some interesting stuff uh, back over a decade ago. And actually Sorkin originally wrote this uh, over 13 years ago. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's Bobby Seal. I just wanted to uh, fix that for mm-hmm. the record, the record here. Cause I know people are keeping score at home. Um, <laughs> I would, I would have loved to see Heath Ledger in the Tom Hayden movie. Cause that's another big issue that I have with this. Cause I, I feel like I've, <laughs> I've made my point on Eddie Redmayne pretty mm. clear in previous episodes. Where Mercy. I just don't get him as an actor. It's like, he seems like a really nice dude. I don't know. But every time he just comes on screen and he's like, his character is in a little bit of anguish. It just, it it's just, it's like he like can't swallow or it's something weird where he just like reacts very oddly to the, to the drama. I just never really buy him as a character. And as I also don't think he's just, his character just, I don't think is very interesting. So that's, I think that's another issue where, I think Bobby Seal was probably the most interesting character in this, and then the character that um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. played as well, who was talking to him uh, behind in the seat behind him in the courtroom uh, in the courtroom scenes for the first half of the movie. I think those those two guys were so interesting to me, and they just leave, and then I'm left with Eddie Ray- Redmayne, who's kind of a dud. Um, <laughs> he's kind of he's and he's positioned by the end as the lead character because he gets to make the just awful, awful speech at the end, which is, it's, 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 I get it. Like it's, it's a nice gesture in a movie, but it's played like the most soapy Hollywood, like 
oh my god, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it really, really, really badly. And I don't know if someone like Spielberg makes that any better because you remember like the post where that movie is just so on the nose too. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, there's just a few. There's a few key things here that just I don't think worked particularly well. And it's Sorkin. I think the script has a few issues and his direction is flawed. And then Eddie Redmayne, I just don't really love. And then. Um, but I will say I, I love Sasha Baron Cohen because I feel like I'm being a little bit, a bit of a downer here. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen is terrific. And so is Jeremy Strong. I think those guys are really, really good. Um, and I like Michael Keaton when he got to show up for like five minutes. It was really good. I think some I think some of the cast members are doing good stuff here. I just I I think Eddie Redmayne's Tom Hayden is the least interesting to me. And it's, <laughs> it's really frustrating because it's, that's the most, that's like the second half of the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have a, a particular detate or detest uh, towards Eddie Redmayne like you do, but um, I get it. I get what you're saying with some of the way, ways he reacts to certain things. Um, yeah, I no, I did. I did enjoy this movie. I did for sure. And I do want to just stress that. Um, but let's get into that ending because I, I think you are right. I get like, I think this is just, as you said, it's kind of just your, and we'll talk about this after when we potentially talk about some of its awards potentials, even though we're a far ways out, but this is what this movie is going for. Um, it is just really cheesy that ending. Yeah. It's very, very cheesy. It's so on the nose. And that's another one where obviously Sorkin likes to play with history a little bit. And I think the social network is one that people always turn to where it's like, yeah, I think a lot of people <laughs> over time have realized that that's not really how Facebook happened, but you get the essence of it, right? Like it makes a lot of sense for those characters and you really get, it cuts to the core of kind of just the grossness that started Facebook in a really interesting way. And so at the end of this movie, the um, top hating character reads off all of the soldiers who have died in Vietnam since the, um, since the start of the trial or I, I think maybe since the start of the war, I can't remember, but uh, leading up to that point. And yeah, it's just uh, everyone standing up and raising their fists. And <laughs> it's just the, the the music is swelling and it's that old timey Hollywood score to make you feel great about yourself. <laughs> and like the, the, um, is it JC McKenzie? I think is next to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, and he's the the boss of the prosecution lawyers, and mm-hmm. he he has to leave because he's the bad guy, and they're having Franklin Jell's. I will have order, and the, there's no order to be had. Oh my God, it's just it is just very very hokey. Um, I don't know. It's so did that not fr- happen? Did that not happen? <laughs> no. It, oh, well, so I I don't know what the what they actually did at the end, but he did not read off all of the names. That, that, <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> um, and it was also an interesting thing where uh, the Fred Hampton character played by Calvin Harrison Jr. wasn't killed until later in that year, mm. which was interesting. They use that. Um, yeah. That, that's another one where I don't quite see why you would need to change that. Um, yeah. But I don't yeah, think that ended- really added much at all. Uh, yeah, I really didn't. It was just kind of, it was just kind of there. It, I, and it was, I w- was kind of used as a device to get him uh, to the gagging point, right? Yeah, and, and I forget what it was. I think I, I, when I read about this, I think it was just more of just more fuck yous towards the towards the judge that got him to right. the gagging point. Um, I don't know. I think that's that's just a Sorkin trying to, I guess, really go far with the drama there. But yeah, and I don't know. I think. Th- it really just hit me with Eddie Redmayne thing. I think it's, I think he struggles with an American accent. Okay. I think that's what it is. Cause the way he, 
the way he talks, it's just, I feel so bad because he seems like he's a decent guy. And I don't mean to rag on him too hard, but it just seems like, and there's another guy, Alex Sharp, who played Rennie Davis. He's another guy who I think kind of struggled with his just holding his American accent. I think it's for those guys, they really can't emote or bring the power to the scenes possible because I think they're just focused on keeping that um, accent steady. I don't know. It's just the whole the whole ending, it just really did not work for me. And I feel like it's it's doing the make you feel good ending where there's like some possibly like interesting conversations being started there about especially about protests and obviously protests are happening right now so that's what they're trying to go for to parallel uh current days but we have this this tension between eddie uh tom hayden tom hayden who really wants to focus on elections and winning and just like these steady incremental changes over time to seek change and then you have sasha baron cohen's abby hoffman who's basically the more of the radical side who is just really just wants to know we have to do big changes we have to do all these different things and very very idealistic and i think that was a really interesting part that i thought was bubbling towards the surface and then the movie's just like nah let's just all get along <laughs> isn't this great guys <laughs> we're making change <laughs> and I was yeah like, I, I don't i don't know it's just it's yeah it didn't work yeah, it's kind of you know, uh, it's 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 interesting because this movie does um, somewhat parallel right now, like some of the themes, and I think *The Five Bloods* was even more perfect with its timing back in June. But I I always just find it weird. I mean, *The Five Bloods* obviously was one that was a little bit different, but I mean the the opening scenes and just kind of some of the themes were very similar. But I. I, I like this is no conspiracy theory at all, but um, it just fur- <laughs> it just further uh, makes you feel like you're living in a simulation. <laughs> it is it is really weird. Um, I I think that's that's why I mentioned Spike Lee earlier because I feel like yeah there there are so many different parallels in this movie to just life and you don't have to look hard. It's literally on the surface with protests right. against police and all that. And I feel like the movie doesn't really make a strong stance on this. I feel like. In the end, it's just kind of like, yeah, the justice is justice system is bad sometimes, and that's kind of like the end of the movie. <laughs> and you're like, what? Um, I just, yeah, I just wish that someone with a stronger perspective, and that's not to say that Aaron Sorkin's political beliefs or anything like that don't matter, but I feel like this movie is playing it very safe and trying to make people feel a little more comfortable than really focusing on the issues because i feel like they say over and over again this is a political trial this political trial but they don't really get at what at the totality of what that means and the party systems and things like that um yeah it just it doesn't feel like they really hit it hard enough and i feel like someone like spike lee who was very politically minded overtly politically minded in his movies i think would have had a really interesting take on this material i just i don't I don't want to call this movie like soft, but it just, it felt like it was trying to make everyone feel comfortable while telling uh, an historical story. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I did like it though. Just want to stress that, but there were issues for sure. And I think we both uh, have laid them out decently for you guys, but let's move on to something real quick here. I think this movie could be all over the place come Oscar season. I think its ceiling is a best picture win. I think its floor is completely missing out. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's going to get a lot of awards and, and we don't know what is going to happen with the Oscars at all, but 
this is very much a boomer movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's uh, back in history at an important time, Vietnam during the Vietnam War, and you have all these great actors and Aaron Sorkin, who's very uh, well respected and just a really just very forward facing guy in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I think this movie is definitely a screen adapted screenplay or whatever. I don't know the original verse adapted, but uh, best picture. Um, definitely some acting awards in there. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a really good chance for getting us a, a supporting nom. And I think probably Frank Langella too, who we haven't really talked about, but I thought was pretty good as the craggly old judge. I thought he was pretty good there. Um, yeah, I, think, I don't see enough in terms of his character to maybe get him one, but I do think he was good. Yeah, it's it is one of those where um, I can, has he won? I don't know if he's won something. He probably has, but I can't think of it. But um, older actor, maybe give him the nom, and maybe a lot of people support. We've seen that a lot of times, so that's mm-hmm. very possible. But yeah, I like Jeremy Strong too. I think he has a good chance. Maybe Eddie Redmayne. Uh, I think there's a. It'll definitely. It'll probably win the SAG. The SAG award probably is what it's going to win. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, for the ensemble there, I think that's probably a great bet. Um, however, this is a very different year. I think if you want to kind of try to set up a timeline here, this would be like in a regular year, uh, a second week of August release, because we do have a two month extended um, Oscars uh, and awards schedule. So we could see this movie fizzle out because it's just out so early in comparison to, to kind of a, a regular year. I think October is usually a pretty good time to drop some of these movies. But in a year like this, you don't really know. However, I agree. I think it like the moment I got done watching this, I was like, this thing could like, I don't think it'll win every award out there, but I think this could play a really big role in our Oscars uh, next year. And it's funny because I'm much more, to Five Bloods is still my number one movie this year. I still really love that movie. I could see this positioning as kind of like the other Vietnam War movie that gets more accolades than it does. And I would really be upset with that because I think while this is a good movie, um, I think that into five bloods, there was so much going on. Um, and it was very layered in terms of even just on a technical level. I think this movie, as you said, it doesn't look the greatest. It's very much, it's very much just your average. I don't want to say average because I, I do think it's a good movie, but it is just kind of, a very accessible kind of just sit down and watch it movie. I think to five bloods is a movie that had so much more going on with it, especially when you uh, look at how it was shot, when uh, you change the lenses for different points of the film, there's just so much more, there's so much more interesting stuff going on in that movie that I hope this doesn't be the Vietnam war movie that kind of does better. Yeah. It's, I think it's far more comfortable as a movie. And I think we have seen that in the past, whether it's, I wouldn't compare this movie to Green Book because I think this movie is better than Green Book. But it's the same thing where it's a more comfortable look at uh, very topical issues that happened in the past but are still happening today. That kind of thing where um, it probably makes people people feel a little better, better about themselves. Whether that's a good or bad thing uh, I think is probably up to the individual. I certainly don't think it is. But um I think this does have the opportunity to just get into good favor with the Academy just because it has all these good stars in it. And right. It's just very, very watchable. Even though I don't love it, it's very watchable. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. like, I would probably watch it again. I don't know. It's like, there are worse ways to spend your, I don't hate it. And I feel like I did rag on it a lot. And maybe we have to bring in you for some more positive positivity (laughs) about the film later on. But yeah, it's, and I think it's that's a it's very possible that it is a big time uh, Oscars movie. I think there's 
I would probably pencil it in as one of the eight through or eight through ten. Or I guess it's ten now because they said it's always going to be ten now. Yeah, did that take effect this year or is that? Um, I can't remember. Either way, of, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I would say I would pencil it in for best picture spot. Yeah, I would take best stock in it in the categories of editing and screenplay. Uh, I don't know if it's original or adapted because I know that Aaron Sorkin likes to do his own thing sometimes. I don't know if he found a piece and adapted this, but either way, I think editing and screenplay is where I would take most stock for this movie. And obviously, I, I agree, it's probably going to land at one of the best picture slots. Um, but yeah, so we'll move on a little bit from there because we do want to talk about a couple other things. Um, oh wait, you want to you want to bring in the positivity? Oh yeah, <laughs> I feel bad because I feel like I've really shit on this movie, and I don't hate it. But what did, what did you really like about it? Um, you know what? I th- I think a lot of it is, and this might be um, uh, fluffy to say, but I do think a lot of it is in the cast. I think that you just have a great cast here, and it's it's fun to enjoy seeing them all on the screen. It's a very big ensemble. Like, as you were pointing out all the names there, I don't think you got to Joseph Gordon-Levitt until like 12 minutes into this conversation. Um, He's fine in the movie. I just like seeing him actually doing something because it's been a little bit of time. Uh, We had that movie uh, over the summer with him, the... uh, um the plane movie i forget its title though 7500 right 7500 yep. yeah yep. um but yeah you know what this like i will say something positive about the movie after this but this movie actually got me excited for another movie uh because of um kelvin harrison jr's character uh, uh judas and the black messiah with lakeith stanfield and um daniel kaluuya who daniel kaluuya would play uh Fred Hampton in that film, uh, that looks like a very good movie. Yeah, I've I feel like that's kind of like the slept on movie that no one's really talking about, but that looks amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited for that movie. Really sad that it it did actually get moved to next year, so that's kind of a downer. I don't know if it's going to be like in the early parts of next year, where it could still pencil in uh, to to be eligible for this year's awards because things were extended, but that's one that I'm looking forward to. Um, a lot of what I enjoyed, honestly, about this movie um, is is in, in the editing. I like the, um, the riot scenes up on the hill. I thought it was, everything was very interestingly put together. I do think, I'll agree with what you said, the word soft. I think it could have been a little bit more, Oh, I don't want to use this word. <laughs> it could have been a little <laughs> bit more gritty, we'll say, uh, to kind oh, of God. <laughs> to kind of stress the situation of it. But um, I would actually um, differ from you a little bit with that one scene where Bobby Seals gagged. I think you needed more um, with that. Oh, I think, yeah, like it hit me, sure, but I think that there were some scenes in this movie that needed more magnitude. Not even just him, but. Um, Obviously, the scenes where you have Eddie Redmayne and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen going back and forth, I needed. I think you needed a little bit more magnitude there. However, I just absolutely loved um, the last, before we got to the ending, but the last 20 minutes of this movie, I was a huge fan of it. I think for the most of the, most of the film, I was really enjoying it. But then it picked up and it like kind of jumped into hyperspeed almost, um, kind of going back and forth with everything that went on on that one night where they uh, all got uh, arrested there. Um I liked how it was kind of going back and forth. You have Sasha Baron Cohen talking to an audience in one sort of um, uh, one sort of setting, and then it cuts to the courtroom, then it cuts to the night of. Um, I thought it was all put together very well, and I would probably watch it again for that last little bit because I do think it really was uh, some uh, kind of rich filmmaking there. It was put together really well. 
Yeah, I I would agree. Um, like I said, Eddie Redmayne, not the biggest fan, but I do think that is well put together. That whole they play the tape and he's explaining he's mm-hmm. they're going through what the prosecution would ask him. But yeah, it was interesting because I guess after um, you have Bobby Seale character, he gets gagged. Like there is like that weird sanctimonious moment where. Joseph Gordon-Levitt on the prosecution is the one being like, hey, this is wrong. Like, this is terrible. And it's like, I don't think that's how it would have worked. And it seems like it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's weird to see all these, like, all sides come together and be like, this is terrible. How could you do this, judge? Um, so, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe that's true. I think the the effect, I think I think it's probably mostly just Yael Abdul-Mateen is just an incredible actor. And he's going to be in mm-hmm. so many different movies. I think he's in Matrix 4, which is secretly filming. I think he's Morpheus or something like that. I can't remember, but he's in that movie. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. But, yeah, I think, that the, my, I think my favorite part of this is Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he's so good in this movie. I think he's really terrific and really funny. Um, when they talk about, they have the joke where uh, him and the judge have the same last name. And then the Franklin Jell is like, I will have let the record show that we are not related. And then Sasha Baron Cohen is like, oh, father. <laughs> it's really, really good. I like that part a lot. Um, yeah, I think everything he does is terrific. And he has like a few more layers to his character later on as he's on the stand and all this stuff. I, I think he's... He was he's my MVP of the movie. I re- I loved him. Yeah, for him, he always like throws me off a little. So I don't know how uh, I'll react to him. So I think for me, it took like ten minutes for me to get used to him, and then I liked his character a lot. Um, it's just because I didn't really know what he was going to go for with this character, but I did enjoy it. I thought he was pretty funny in the movie. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that mostly wraps it up there for Trial of Chicago Seven. We'll see. Uh, obviously, Colin's thoughts next time he's on. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of one of our bigger, bigger movies of the last few weeks. I don't think we've seen a movie uh, kind of like this for a little bit. Um, So we'll move on now to uh, kind of what we've been watching this past week or so. So I'll jump in real quick. Um, Literally because of the rumors of of the live action Spider-Man, I was like, eh, why don't I watch Into the Spider-Verse tonight? Um... So I, I watched that for the first time since theaters uh, this past week, and it's still just as good. Um, very different, though, because I remember watching it in 3D in theaters. I thought it was very good in 3D. I don't see a lot of 3D. Uh, as I said before I hopped on, I see like one to two movies in 3D every year, and I make sure it's one that's like they recommend, like we made this for 3D. Um so yeah, I'm I'm pretty rare when it comes to seeing things in 3D, but this was one that I did and it was very good. But now seeing it in 2D was interesting and the animation is still just as good. Um this is a fantastic movie and it didn't like didn't miss a miss a beat at all. Like it's still just as good as I remembered it. Um it operates on so many different levels here. Like there, there's so much good stuff in here. Not only is it a fun movie that anyone can really watch, but it's, it's emotional when it needs to be. I think there's a lot of great stuff there with, uh, Miles Morales and his father. Um, great soundtrack. Um, animation is like next. It's, it's something that like you don't usually see. And that's, I think what was so refreshing about this movie and it's animation. Uh, so much funny stuff in there, uh, from Nick Cage to, uh, uh, Jake Johnson. There's so much good stuff in there. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a great movie to revisit for the first time in almost two years. Can you believe it's almost been two years since this movie came out? Uh, I, I can't believe it. Is this the best superhero movie? I kind of feel like it's starting to be that way, where everyone just kind of loves it. It's getting up there, and I think obviously there are a few that you can kind of throw out there that are 
in this quote-unquote elite group that kind of everyone universally likes no matter if you're a fanboy of one uh of one um industry or the other uh dc marvel uh what what have you but there are those few movies that kind of transcend i think of obviously the dark knight logan i guess spider-man 2 um things like that this is a hundred percent one of those movies um that i think everybody loves universally um and yeah i think it is creeping up there i think it's definitely in the top seven potentially five yeah i think i'd have it in my top three i don't i'm in probably no particular i'd have that and logan and I don't know what else actually I'd put in there. So maybe it isn't the top three. <laughs> maybe it's number two. I really love Logan a lot. I think that's what I normally fall back on as my favorite superhero movie. But um, yeah, it's really terrific. I watch a few scenes of it every so often just to get back into it. And it's just unlike anything else you've ever seen. It's so good. And I just wish more studios would be more willing to just cry or try crazy stuff with their animated movies. Because I feel like... As good as the Disney and Pixar movies are, they all do feel a little samey, even if they are pretty wonderfully rendered, just to all the great people who work at, in both those animation arms. But I would, I just wish that more movies would take uh, bigger chances with their animation because you get stuff like this, and it's just something you've never, ever seen before. No, you're 100% right. I think there's just so much here that's so unique. And even from the whenever I first watched it, it was just so impactful because of that, because of how different it was. And they do have the sequel in the works. 2022 is when it's supposed to come out. And I love that because I feel like far too often there are movies that are so close uh, together, uh, sequels. So four years is going to be the spread between uh, the first one and the second one, which is kind of cool to think about. Um, but yeah, this is this is definitely one of the great movies of 2018. It's up there for me with... Uh, some of my favorites i think of this i think of mission impossible fallout i think of when you be my neighbor i think of hereditary the favorite those are the few there that i still will revisit and uh, absolutely love from that year yeah it's it's kind of funny because for all the talk about why doesn't the academy love superhero movies i feel like everyone was just like oh yeah this movie's the best and one best <laughs> animated movie that that following Oscars. It was just really funny where we had all this talk about Black Panther and all these different things and Dark Knight over the years. Then it's like, oh yeah, everyone, no matter who you are, if you were a boomer or a zoomer or whatever, everyone was just like, oh yeah, this movie's great. It deserves mm-hmm. the award. Yep, for sure. Um, but I guess we'll move on to what I watched, which is another one that I rewatch every so often. And it hadn't been a minute, but I really love Walk Hard. <laughs> Have you ever seen Walk Hard? Never, no. Oh my god, this movie's so good. Uh, so it famously flopped back when it came out. I think it was 2007. And so it's a hilarious... I would I consider it a spoof movie. And I think it's one of the best spoof movies of the last 20 years. Uh, but it's basically a spoof of Walk the Line and every other musical biopic. And it stars uh, John C. Riley as your um, main character, as your... Um, going through his ups and downs of his musical life uh it's so so funny because it plays like it's like when people say why do you hate bohemian rhapsody so much i just point back to walk hard and say (laughs) this movie made fun of this entire movie 13 years before it came out or whenever bohemian rhapsody came out because it starts with uh john c Riley just in the um downstairs just waiting to go on stage 
and he's just like his hand is on the wall and he's like thinking hard and the like one of the stage people is like oh uh mr cox like you have you're on in like three minutes and then tim meadows she's like no he has to think about his entire life before he goes on stage and then it (laughs) and then it goes back to his uh, childhood life and shows like his entire life and all of his ups and downs it's so funny I love this movie so much. And there's one scene in it where (laughs) obviously he starts to go to drugs and everything. And Tim Meadows, like everyone's like, he opens, there's a really funny gag in this movie where when he gets introduced to new drugs, like it's just Tim Meadows and a bunch of other people in a bathroom. And they're like, no, you wouldn't want to try this. It's too good. (laughs) Like this weed is amazing. (laughs) And it's very, it's just great. And he's like, oh, I kind of want to try it now. And then he just gets hooked on more stuff. And then there's one scene where, he uh, like he's in uh, the butt on the tour bus and he's acting more and more crazy. And one of the band members is like, oh, like he's not the same anymore, is he? And then Tim Meadows is like, yeah, he's in his middle phase. <laughs> it's so funny. I it's so, so good. Um, it it really does make fun of every single musical biopic and all of these like, oh, it's the hard times. It's the, it's the humble beginnings and the hard drugs and all the fallen relationships and all of the crazy influences and it comes back around again and he has to make this song at the end that's gonna like sum up his entire life and obviously he'll play it in front of a big crowd um i love it it's it's so funny it's it's one of my favorite spoof movies it's it's (laughs) i want everyone to watch it because i don't think it's been watched enough yeah you know as you were talking i looked it up and uh i've seen this poster a lot uh, so I've definitely been in the presence of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, but I haven't uh, gotten to check it out yet, but I definitely will. Yeah, it's it is kind of funny because it also ru- kind of ruins Walk the Line for you. And there's like a lot of good stuff in that movie and Walking Phoenix is really good in it. But <laughs> once you watch Walk Hard, you're like, oh, OK, like this is how like ridiculous a lot of these these movies are that try to morph someone's life into like this rise and fall and rise again kind of thing. Um, (laughs) So I think this movie tanked really hard when it came out in theaters, like it made no money. Um, And I hope people do check it out. And I feel like people have, I feel for the people who have seen it, they really, really appreciate it. Um, But I think it deserves more eyes because it's, it's so ridiculous and so funny. And there's a bunch of really good cameos in it. And Kristen Wiig plays, um, John C. Riley's first wife, and she's really fun. Like every time she shows on screen, she just has more kids. <laughs> like she has like fifteen kids at one point or something like that. It's oh, so okay. good. Uh, I, I I can't speak enough about this movie. It's it's really hilarious. Sounds good. Um, that's pretty much it for this week with the Movie Bible podcast. Just to kind of wrap it up, uh, we got the Spider Man Three rumors there. Trial of Chicago Seven. However. Kubi took that number one spot back-to-back weeks. And uh, don't forget to check out the Doobie Cox uh, story, Walk Hard. (laughs) Um, Thanks for coming on, though, Nick. And uh, we'll hope to have Colin soon so he can give those thoughts. We're going to keep holding him to it. Don't duck us. We're here. We will be here next Sunday waiting for your thoughts. (laughs) We're we're ready. Um, and as always, you can check us out at moviebabble.com. You can check out the YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And obviously, we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>